Hello, everyone, and this is episode 151 of the In Squash podcast. And uh, today we have uh, the PSA Female Challenger Player of the Year, uh, 2018 Canadian National Champion, currently ranked number 32 in the world, Danielle Latorno, friend of the podcast, dare I say. Um, so this is her third uh, visit, at least, uh, to the podcast, and we really. Uh, Really uh, proud to have her on today. She's the, again, as I said, the just announced recently a few weeks back there, announced as the PSA's Female Challenger Series Player of the Year. And for good reason, uh, she's won three of the last four of those events, including uh, her last uh, PSA Tour event, which was a Challenger Series event before the COVID uh, sanctions were uh, set forth uh, and are still in place as we speak today. Uh, but uh, we had a really good chat. She tells us about uh, what she's been doing. She's been doing a lot of camping hanging out with the bears in the mountains of Alberta, uh, but uh, how she's been uh, navigating the COVID situation in terms of her squash, uh, what it's meant to her uh, to win, what it means to her to win the Challenger Series Player of the Year, and what the Challenger Series has brought to her game, what benefits uh, uh, it's had for her, and why it's such a welcome addition uh, to the PSA Tour uh, these days, and we talk quite a uh, quite a bit about that, and much, much more. And of course, uh, I couldn't uh, let her go without asking her about uh, how she feels about Renim Elwalili's retirement. And she gave gave a, a really nice uh, testimonial to to Renim uh, on the podcast today. So Danielle Latorno on today on episode one five one. Now, uh, before we get started with that i just want to talk to you about of course our sponsor active scout active scout yes it's a growth and retention tool for squash clubs really important right now uh, now that clubs are slowly looking to open their door their doors mine opened last week so we want to help your community grow your squash community not all members are returning from this break a few at my club haven't uh, returned yet so growing club membership is more important than ever before Start with you and a few of your regular partners. Active Scout can be your chat tool rather than uh, WhatsApp. Uh, it can be a bit clunky. If you've got Active Scout, it'll uh, focus right on your squash uh, playing partners, and for you can use it to arrange games or even go out for a jog. Post updates about your club on the social platform and check out what other clubs are doing to get up and running faster. Now the next step. Let your club manager know about Active Scout. If your club still uses pen and paper as a booking system, this is an opportunity to upgrade for free. If your club already has a booking system, let us know what your system is and we will shortlist it for platform integration. Active Scout was designed by a level three coach to help grow our sport, so reach out to us today. Active Scout is now beta testing. Contact Rob at ActiveScout.com and we will send you a link to download the app. The email is just like the website, rob at activescout.com. That is ActiveScout without the E. Episode 151, really enjoyed this. The PSA's 2019-2020 Challenger Series Female Player of the Year, Danielle Latorno. Okay. Well, uh, Danielle, it's good to see you, and thanks for uh, for coming on to the podcast. This this is your third uh, visit to the, uh, I think three, the third time on the on the podcast. So uh, great to see you. And uh, how are you and your family uh, doing during these, uh, I guess, challenging times right now? Uh, we're doing pretty well. I mean, obviously, at first is a bit of an adjustment, but things are kind of starting to open up here, and 
we're lucky that we have a lot of green space near us. So we're able to take the dog out for walks, go hiking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's, it's kept us all pretty sane and, and busy. And uh, how about your, your squash? How's that been, guys? Saw, uh, are you in Calgary, uh, Daniel? Yeah, I'm in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah, so I saw my, my good friend Bob Ballinger posted that uh, the um, Bankers Hall was open. Yeah. yeah, I think they opened up today, and then um, my club opened up about two weeks ago. Okay. So I've been able to get on court quite a bit recently, and it's been pretty nice. I missed it for sure. And how, what sort of uh, protocol is there there in terms of getting out and playing? Do you, can you, are you only allowed to play alone? Are you allowed to play any, any way you want, just as long as you sterilize properly? What, what, what's, the, uh, what's the deal there in, uh, in Alberta? How are um, they handling that? So technically you're allowed to play with like, people within your co cohort. Okay. Um, it's kind of hard to tell, like, obviously who's in whose cohort so it's pretty open like you can hit with it, it feels like you can hit with pretty much anyone okay. i've only been hanging okay. with one guy um or soloing right um and then otherwise it's just limited numbers of people at the courts um time slots and then like a time period for cleaning the courts yeah yeah sanitizer everywhere no doubles except if you're playing with like someone in your family or cohort family um, doubles like family doubles we're just missing my brother he's in new york so Okay. Um, yeah, not quite there. Not quite there, no. But it sounds good. And, and uh, have you been, I guess, before that, I guess you've been training a bit. You, you had a, you know, we'll talk about it now, but you had a pretty good 2019-2020 uh, season up until uh, when things uh, happened. But uh, how was uh, this sort of period for you during which you couldn't get on court? There's going to be a bit of an echo, I can tell right now, because I'm in my, my office. And okay. uh, yeah, the acoustics on this one might be interesting. So uh, apologies to the <laughs> listeners. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully all good. Yeah. Um, at first, uh, the first week or so off court, I, I didn't mind it too much because I had a pretty heavy season up until that point. Mm -hmm. So at first it was kind of nice to have like a bit of a break. Um, yeah, you played, you played a lot last year, didn't you? You, you, you almost uh, so many great, a lot of great events. You played in quite a few of uh, the big ones and then the, the Challenger Series, which was always tough for you because you were going deep into those tournaments, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, those ones were definitely exhausting, especially after the T20s back-to-back. -back. But I had about um, almost like six tournaments in a row because we had um, – I played the 10K – 20k then we had a national teams tournament in um in uh in uh, quebec and then played chicago calgary regina all six weekends in a row so wow. by the time covid hit i was kind of like oh it's not uh not the worst timing for me it, it worked out pretty well yeah um, and then obviously as, as time goes on you you lose a bit of motivation for a while and you miss the squash, but then it's also hard to get yourself to do other exercises and like trying to figure out like the mindset of training and just, cause there's always something to train for. Yeah. So I found I, I really had to change my mindset around fitness and just kind of do it cause it made me happy, do some yoga. Mm -hmm. um, once you could do some group things, like I'd work out with friends like from a distance and or through zoom and that kind of helped yeah. get through that time. But 
Yeah, that's fine. Like doing that, that's I'm sort of doing it probably not to the same degree as you, but like that, that Zoom training kind of thing. And uh, I've been following a couple of, uh, I think it was Laura Massaro put on uh, some, some good stuff there on the, uh, on the Twitter. Uh, she put up her own training sessions, live ones, and Nick Matthew did a couple. So they, they were pretty tough and, uh, but you could fall, you could do it uh, as they were doing it, which was interesting. So yeah, um, well, it's good to hear that you're you're you hit the ground running, I guess. But is it still tough not being able to to get get out there and compete right now? Eh? Uh, yes and no. Like I'm, I'm definitely very excited for when um, I can I can compete. But right now, it's nice. It's kind of like going back to summer training and mm-hmm. easing your way in, work on some things, build up, and I'm just happy to hit the ball. Like it's even if I'm not getting the full competition, it's just nice to a little bit and I get um, my coach watching through FaceTime. So that makes it, you feel like you can still work towards something, but you're not rushing anything. And yeah, I keep forgetting like, like when you're on, when you know, lockdown and all this stuff, you really don't know what day it is. I, I'm not, I'm not, I've forgotten it's the summer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it is that kind of period where you wouldn't normally, normally compete anyway. So. Yeah. It just took a while to get to like this point mentally, like, yeah. Or feel a little bit motivated. And it wasn't really until I got on court um, a bit consistently that I felt motivated. So it's, it's been a few months of just trying to just have fun, enjoy staying active in any capacity. Right on. That's great. Well, let's take a look back a little bit at last year. Now, now before we continue, though, I just want to say congrats uh, on winning the, uh, the PSA Female Challenger Series Player of the Year. So that, that's a that's a great honor. And uh, looking back at the at 2020, the results speak for themselves. I was looking through them last night, and uh, you won three of the last four of those events, including uh, your last event at the, the I think it was the Queen City Open. So, uh, you know, you were typically uh, number one and, or number two seed in, in those events. So what's the, what's the difference for you playing in a challenger series event and playing in, in like the, the platinum or silver events? Uh? Well, I think for the challenger events, I'm in a different position going into the big tournaments. I'm normally the lower seed and I have to play up or try and have, a, you know, have a bit of an upset which I like when you're, when you're feeling good and playing well and you feel confident, it's like, I love the challenge of having those matches. And then you go into the challenger events and you have all this pressure on you and yeah, yeah. kind of the expectation that you want to win. And, but you also kind of with each match, cause you get more match play and like get further into the event. It kind of helps build that confidence and that same um, sort of, competition mindset and like you learn how to fight through things even when maybe you're not playing as well as you'd like to and someone's giving you a bit of a hard time at least you kind of have that experience that you keep building on so I find it's easier to kind of learn about the things learn about the way I think and learn how to work like problem solve and kind of work I don't know just um, find solutions Whereas you have to go into the big tournaments already knowing all of those things. So it was a good way for me to, um, for a while I'd only been playing like a lot of the big tournaments and been the underdog and kind of got beat down a bit. And it's nice now I feel um, a lot more confident and I have a better understanding of 
my strengths, maybe some areas I need to work on, but also if things aren't going well, like how can I push through? And right on. so I think hopefully like in bigger events now, I can just kind of go in and first match will be, I can take what I've learned. Whereas after a while you kind of, it's hit and miss with how far you're going to go on the big tournaments. Right. So it's hard to kind of build momentum in your game. And yeah, yeah. so I found that the big difference. Yeah, you had, I mean, you had some, some off and on results in the big events, but you, you had some close matches against some really good players, and then you, you, you might lose in the first round to someone that you had a chance to, to beat. So I guess in, in that way, you know, maybe there's, you know, you had a, an excellent year, but then also maybe perhaps a little bit of frustration because you, you know, you didn't reach maybe, you didn't win those matches that you thought you, you could have or you had a chance at winning in the, in the big events. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was very up and down um, mm -hmm. with those ones. But, and, I mean, there were a couple events in particular that that uh, hurt <laughs> quite a bit, but I learned a lot about them um, and a lot about it from my off-court preparation before matches and at tournaments. So that's – I think the only reason I did well in my smaller events like the Challengers was because I – had had those really bad losses so it's mm. kind of a give and take but yeah I'll, I'll, i think i know where, where you're getting at here I'll, I'll ask you a little bit about that in a second um but you know you, you kind of answered this question already but you might be able to elaborate on it explain maybe the, the added value of, of the having the challenger series events out there i mean you already mentioned you know for you it's you know you can generate some momentum you run you get to go deeper into tournaments maybe build some confidence uh, so is there any, uh, beyond that, is there, is there other added value to having, uh, you know, the, the challenger series events out there? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's great to get experience playing against so many different styles of opponents and, um, there are different styles based on some of the tournaments and, you know, happy to play more people and you get exposure to different styles, the more matches you play. So kind of same thing working through it um, and understanding which kind of styles you do well against, which ones you don't do as well against, and then recognizing kind of, it, I found it helped me make uh, game plans a bit more mm -hmm. and like going into a match instead of just having to figure it out at the time or. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, in those events too, you get a good mix of you know, sort of uh, the younger players coming up, trying to sort of get their earn their way in, onto the big stage, and then some of the older uh, players who are sort sort of uh, you know just hanging on a little bit and want want to earn a little bit of money on this you know before they they finish it up, and uh, you get a good yeah. mix uh, of players in those events, don't you? Yeah, and especially like the younger players, everyone's so hungry and. Yeah. determined yeah. To, to get you so it's it's a little bit more of a what's that like when you got to go out there against a young whippersnapper who wants to uh <laughs> take bread off your your table <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah but. now now uh you mentioned it earlier you had a couple of uh you know losses uh uh, on the big in the bigger events, I think the U.S. Open maybe and, and the Windy City Open first round matches you you lost there, but you did in Calgary uh, uh, at the Calgary event. You managed to get a, a little bit of revenge beating a Julianne uh, Cortez who you'd lost to twice previously. Maybe uh, I think that's right. 
so what was it about Julianne's game in the earlier matches that, that gave you uh, a little bit of trouble? And then how did you, uh, how was that, how did it feel leading up to the final and how did that play out in the final? Well, I think, well, Julianne's like a very, a very skilled player. She's very steady. She has amazing length. Um, and yeah, I remember watching her play uh, maybe a few months back before things uh, happened. And uh, she's got a very nice touch as well, like good drop shots and, and uh, very accurate, isn't she? Yeah, and very smooth in the way that she hits the ball. And um, I think playing in Calgary did help me because it was a hotter court. And so, you know, some of the length comes back up and then I'm used to that, those conditions and I, you know, I had the crowd on my side. So that helped me a lot in Calgary. Um, and I played her enough that I finally kind of like figured out the game plan after the third try. Yeah. But I definitely struggled playing her on um, at US Open in Chicago, a bit more dead courts, the glass court and learning both the way how to move around her and then also anticipating her length because it did she's very good at making it die and on a dead court you just have to be a bit sharper yeah and distant and I, I just I wasn't in those days but um I think a lot of it at in Chicago was my my preparation going into the match I, I was a bit um a bit distracted with some external factors and you know not I felt like I used a lot of energy before I even went into the match, which, yeah, you know, playing against someone like her, you have to be yeah, fine. I guess in those big events, you got to be 100% focused from, uh, from the first serve, don't you? Yeah. And so I found that going into the Calgary, cause it was like literally a week later, um, oh, yeah. okay. I was a lot better at managing my energy which is something I was a bit concerned about being at home because you go to the venue, you see a lot of people, you know, you want to talk, you want to socialize. And I'm, I yeah. may be a bit too social for my own good sometimes. So um, <laughs> I, yeah, I really tried to like keep to myself and make sure I saved up all the energy I had for each match. And especially hers, like yeah, kind of anticipating what was coming. Well, that's good. So, you know, given that, you know, how, how would you, uh, what, what do you think you need to do in order to overcome that, the type of situation, playing on a colder court against a player like that in the future? Uh, what kind of game, what, what, what kind of thing? I was speaking to uh, Mohamed El-Sherbagi a few weeks back, and he was saying he goes into the summer training by anticipating what his opponents think are his weaknesses. And then uh, that, and that's, and he addresses all of them. Uh, is that something that kind of uh, maybe falls in the same line of thinking? Yeah, you? a little bit. Um, I'll look at you know my weaknesses and trying to to tweak them in my solos and practices, and then also with um, in some drills, I'll be doing the same drill, but each time I do it, I'll be thinking of a different opponent that I want to and like how I would execute even my length. Like, am I going to pace? Am I going to lift? Like yeah. I'll kind of adjust the drill on who it is. So then I learned how to get a bit more, like get better ball control and can visualize it a bit more throughout the whole summer. So then if I end up coming against 
any one of these people or someone who plays similarly to like a, a specific style. Mm-hmm. At least I already have practiced the solution. Whereas I think before it was like, okay, I understand what this person might do. I understand where my weaknesses, my strengths are, but having a very thought out plan that feels practice. It's not just like, okay, this is my plan and I've never done it before. Right. So I think it's not like, okay, I've, I've practiced this plan. So I know how to execute it. And so I think by playing these tournaments and getting a better, a better understanding of, um, you know, how I match up against different styles, I am starting to kind of find solutions or at least work towards some of those new skills that I might need next year. Right. Um, well, hopefully for a court like that, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Hopefully, uh, uh, maybe October or November, we might get a get a start date. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you about two people, uh, two women who uh, I think are very important for in, in your squash life. Uh, of course, one being uh, Sam uh, Cornett. She retired. Uh, recently and uh, the two of you were teammates for for a long uh, time played against each other with each other traveled the world together Um, what was Sam's uh, impact on you uh, as a player growing up uh, in Canada playing junior and senior level squash and uh, you know just uh, some final uh, maybe some uh, testimonial to to Sam yeah well I mean Sam's always been um, such a leader and like both with her her work ethic and how she's on court and how she represents herself like she's always very collected positive upbeat so if you're playing against her you know she's going to work really hard and always be pretty fierce on court but always fair like it's mm-hmm. um so it's always she's always been someone to like look up to and admire in that way but she has also really pushed me as a competitor to be better and you know both in how I play but also in how I act and mm. she and especially as a teammate like she's the best teammate you could have she's yeah like so supportive such a great person to be around and you know she she's one of those people who lifts you up and like holds you to a higher standard and um definitely missed her on tour mm. it's uh well, yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys probably were joined at the hip at a lot of these, uh, you know, traveling the world together, Canadian, uh, the Canadian girls doing so well, especially recently. Uh, and and yeah. she left the game sort of at the top of the top of her game. I mean, national champion, right? Uh, yeah, she was playing Canadian, really well. Yeah, and, uh, and then yeah. She, she left it. But, uh, yeah, you know, she left a great legacy for Canada, so. She did. Yeah. The funny story about Sam is that yeah, we actually yeah. – <laughs> we're yeah, sharing we love, we love stories here. The- <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sean, Sean Delier has, has had a, quite a few funny ones. Leave us with one for about Sam, please. I'll, I'll leave you with a good one. Nothing, nothing too crazy. But um, we were sharing a hotel room. Like we requested to stay together, and then the draw came out, and first round playing against each other, and Ooh. you know, <laughs> you're just hanging out in the hotel room, kind of. Slightly trash talking, but also just having fun. But she actually gripped my racket for me that day before we played each other. Shows how. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, how, how did it feel? How, how, how did it feel? Was were there? Did, did it start? Did it start slipping in the middle of the first game? 
<laughs> no, she did a great job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, if my friend, if I allowed my friends to grip my racket, I'd probably, uh, yeah, it wouldn't last, the grip wouldn't last long, I don't think. <laughs> They'd use that as great. Yeah, that's just a testament to the professional and, and the friendship, the uh, professionalism and friendship between the two of you. Yeah. If you let her grip your racket, that's great. <laughs> good story. <laughs> well, she was yeah. nice enough to do it for me, so that was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, also, obviously, uh, now I read this great piece in uh, Sport Rages. Uh, they, they just came out a few days ago on you. It was a nice nice uh, write-up. And in it, uh, you mentioned that Renim Elwali was your favorite player. I'm not, I'm not sure if at the time of the interview she had announced her retirement or not, but sad, sadly, recently she has and uh, leaving at the top of the game, I mean, uh, talk about, I mean, there, there are players that I'd love to watch before uh, I play my league matches. One of them is Amir Shabana. The other one is uh, Renine. I mean, when just the way she moves around the court, what she can do with the ball, the professionalism. I mean, they're, they're almost the same, the two of those, uh, uh, Amir and Renine, the way they play the game and just such a, a class personified. So. Uh, you know, describe uh, Renim, uh, the impact she's had on you uh, as a player and, may, you know, um, maybe your experiences with her uh, on tour over the years. Oh, well, huge impact. Um, you know, she's just incredible to watch um, the way she plays the game and like wanting to, you know, mimic that it's, like close to impossible. It's just, she makes it look so easy and so just beautiful in the way she plays and, but also the way she is on court. Like um, I remember reading Rachel Grinham's tweet about her and saying, you know, gain a spirit of squash award that, you know, all the players vote on. And the fact she's been number one in the world and won that mm. multiple times just shows like such, how she's such an amazing person for the sport. Um, and I think has really helped grow it. Um, and then for me, like personally, like apart from, from watching her, I, I got on court with her um, in November and got to just play a couple of condition games with her. And there were some things that I had been working on and, or my coach has been trying to describe to me about like what I can, how to work on something. And this concept, like, I, I was like, okay, I kind of understand what you mean, but I didn't fully, I wasn't quite there. Yeah. You get on court with her and she's going to do exactly that to you. Like she just, you can just, the amount of pressure she puts on you, the quality of the shots, her movement, the speed. When you're on court with her, it's just a whole other learning experience. And <laughs> I think it, out of all the hits I've had in my life, I've learned the most from like that one hour. Wow. On court with wow. Wow. and it's it's really stuck with me for the last few months and and just getting to know her a little bit better through this season like just by spending a bit of time in Egypt and seeing her around once in a while it's she's just one of the friendliest people um yeah. you could ever meet and you know I'm I'm very grateful that I had this chance to get on court with her and like meet her and um talked to her a bit before she retired and super excited for her. I am like for her and Tark. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Like I'm, I'm so excited for, you know, next chapter. And, well, they recently and got that. inducted into uh well, they're, they're in the Guinness world book of uh, records now. Oh really? 
Yeah, for being, I think the first squat, well, the first squash couple to be world champions. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, mar so. Married world champions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, so, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah, two great people, uh, and uh, she's going to be missed, but she left a tremendous, I mean, she left so much for us to to enjoy all the, you know, it's all there. We can go back and watch uh, all the incredible uh, matches that she's played, and just uh, yeah. so fun and so great to watch. Yeah, I think I'm still in denial. <laughs> but, yeah, I can't uh, believe it. I mean, she's number one, yeah. so to leave at, at the top of the game, I guess, that, you know, that's the way to do way it. To do I mean, it. JP did it, your other favorite player as well. <laughs> He yeah. left at, at num when he retired. He was number one in the world, I think. Mm -hmm. Did you watch any of the uh, Super Squash Saturdays, by the way, Daniel? <laughs> I did. Uh, a few of my uh, friends. What did and you I think about that? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. It was really fun. We had a, a huge Zoom call with probably like ten or ten to fifteen of us watching this match and just kind of joking around and. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it goes to show. I mean, Jonathan is still must-watch squash. And, and he was, uh, I mean, I think hardball, he, he was a very good hardball player anyways. But uh, he just, he, for the games that he, he could have, you know, that he survived and he was able to finish, uh, he looked very good despite uh, the girth that he was carrying around with him. <laughs> yeah, I think each week, though, he, got, he just got a little slower. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, knew something, you knew something was going to go wrong there and that, that uh, led the last match because he was still, he was moving quick. He was, he was getting to everything, but uh, yeah. he was just being stretched uh, a little too far uh, there in the, that last match. And Diego didn't want to lose that, did he? No, he, he probably got pretty used to that hardball by that point. Yeah, yeah. but it, I mean, the hardball is a great game to, to watch. I mean, that, that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a nice little uh, sort of promotion for, for hardball. Uh, uh, I mean, doubles is obviously down there in the U.S., but uh, it was fun to watch, I think. Yeah. I just loved how so many people were watching because there's nothing else to do. So it's just like yeah. you see everyone just like all around and enjoying it and some live sport and yeah. you know, some human interaction. And uh, it, was, it was definitely what a lot of people needed. Absolutely. Me and my friends definitely appreciated watching it. It was great. Yeah, it was it was great entertainment. Dean Dean Brown and uh, Graham did a great job as well. So they, mm -hmm. they were funny. They were <laughs> but uh, you just came back from the mountains, I, I think, did you, uh, Danielle? Uh, yeah, I've been out there quite a lot. Okay, but... you're from Alberta, so the Al the Alberta girls are all outdoorsy uh, uh, <laughs> girls, right? You guys like it up there in the mountains. Love it. Yeah. yeah. So doing some camping, I've seen quite a few bears. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I had from afar. I hope. Yeah. No, unfortunately no. not. Okay. No, um, was camping and had a clean site and everything. Like my food was, uh, pretty far away. So, just like this is something that you're you're fairly accustomed to, right? Like you you know how to you know you're not like a Japanese tourist or whatever. Pardon my you know no offense <laughs> to the Japanese. <laughs> That's just sort of an expression who just goes out there and feeds them, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, it was uh, it was definitely scary because you're in your tent and you hear some large branches breaking on the ground and then you, you smell the bear kind of close to your tent and almost touches it and you're just uh -oh. kind of... What do you do? Just sit like, there, like super still. Still, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Super, super quiet, just kind of hope when it goes away. And it took a few hours and then eventually left him. Then saw one on a hike one day, a uh, couple on the road. So yeah, I've I've gone my 
I feel this year. Yeah. No, I remember I used to, I, for one year I spent uh, in Whistler uh, and I uh, stayed there for a year. And uh, I, you know, my first few experience, up close experiences with big black uh, bears there. But uh, I remember one night coming uh, home uh, late at night and it was on this path and I was just sort of, I was with a friend and it wasn't a bear though. It was like a, like a fox or something. And it was just sitting on the path and we stopped and he stared. It was kind of, we were looking at each other for five minutes or so. And then he just walked away and we walked home. It was, it was surreal, the, the experience. I, I don't think uh, you get that same sort of uh, experience with a bear though. They, they wouldn't just sort of sit um, there and, or, or do they? Like, a, there, so the way I've grown up learning about this is like, if you run to a black bear, you want to like, fight it or stand your ground or mm. you know if you had a bike like make yourself bigger put it on top or something okay. but you stand your ground against a black bear right if it's a grizzly bear Ooh. we'll probably have to play dead okay okay hope you don't so yeah you, you have to have the awareness to first of all recognize uh, black and grizzly because some, yeah. a lot of people would not know the difference, uh, I guess. I mean, grizzly is obviously grizzly, and black is black. But uh, <laughs> in the size, like the grizzlies yeah. are much bigger. Yeah, and and they're yeah. they're sort of uh, more aggressive, are they? Uh, well, it's just I think just because they're bigger, they'd be more likely to do something. Whereas, like if black bears a bit smaller, you could probably scare it off a bit more. But okay. Yeah. But you don't want to try that. Ideally not. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, one more thing, uh, Danielle, you, you mentioned you're, you're a bit of a crib player, uh, as I am. So uh, mm -hmm. next time, uh, if, you know, if we have cross paths, uh, definitely we're going to go, uh, I'll put a few, uh, maybe $5 down on, on a game of crib against you. Uh, I, ha yeah, I have some experience. $5, uh, <laughs> five, 10, 20. <laughs> but it depends I'll on how much it. we... Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, very lucky. I'm very lucky and very good. So are, are you? Okay. I warn you. I warn you now. Well, I've had I've had a few wins. I don't know. If, do you know Victor Berg? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had a few victories over Victor Berg. So you know what he's like. He's quite. He he's a self-professed uh, gambler. So he, he fancies himself as a bit of a gambler. But uh, I, I've had a few uh, few victories over I've him. So skill though. I mean, I guess gambling could be a skill too, but. Yeah, crib, crib is uh, skill. Crib is skill. It's, skill. it's, skill. it's funny. I'm playing with my, my daughter, teaching her a little bit, uh, you know, how to play. And she's coming along quite well. I give her a little bit of a handicap. So she starts with 20 pegs ahead. And if she wins, then she goes back a peg to start nice. the next game. And um, we played uh, yesterday. And I've taught her, you know, when, like, she, all she had to do was avoid allowing me to peg out to win the win the match because uh, I was like five or six points away from winning but she was counting uh, first so oh, okay. she would have won right uh, and then I laid a six and she laid a six and then it was game over oh, right so yeah. I was like yeah so she she uh, she realized it later right but th those are the skills uh, I'm sure that you you have uh, already yeah don't worry I won't make that mistake <laughs> 
Okay. All right, Danielle. Uh, first, again, uh, congratulations on uh, everything the uh, the Challenger Series event, uh, the Challenger Series Player of the Year for 2020. And I know you're going to come back uh, when the tour comes back and you're going to come back and be playing great squash again. All the best and uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Well, that was fantastic. Danielle Latourneau, episode 151 today. And uh, congratulations again to her on a fantastic season uh, and winning the PSA's Challenger Series Player of the Year for 2019-2020. All the best to her going forward. Hopefully we get to see her back on court in the not-too-distant future. Speaking of which, I hope to have Alex Goff on the podcast over the next little while, so maybe we'll get the inside scoop on when and where the, the tour might uh, set for set off uh, in the next uh, few months with any luck. Uh, now, before... Uh, we sign off today. I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, we've got some great podcasts coming up, uh, so stay tuned for those. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. Send a, uh, Share it on whatever social media platform you use and give us a like. It's available on all, app, uh, all podcast apps, uh, so you can uh, give us a like. Share it with your squash community. Share it on uh, Active Scout if, if uh, I think that's, that's one of the... Uh, uh, functionalities of that app so uh, anyways uh, again thanks everyone for listening take care now and uh, all the best with your squash I hope you do get back on the court soon I was on court last week it went really well and I'm looking forward to getting out again tomorrow so with any luck for you if it's if you're not playing now hang tight keep on training keep on watching squash uh, on PSA squash TV and YouTube and uh, you'll be able to hit the ground running soon as well with any luck take care and have a great day goodbye now